Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Strap in, folks. This is going to be a wild ride. We're going back to something that is considered sometimes a third rail in the world of conspiracy lore, the idea that sinister forces, insert your favorite here, folks, assassinated President John F. Kennedy and possibly later his brother, Robert Kennedy. This conspiracy looms large, and it's a question people still ask themselves in 2021. We know this because uh, on personal social media and on the show's social platforms and emails and phone calls, we get this question a lot. Who really killed President JFK? It's the first part of a two-part episode. And don't worry, both parts of this series are chock full of conspiracies, both imagined and, get this, rarely get to say this at the top of the show, conspiracies imagined and real. So before we jump into the facts here, um, you know, 
Matt, Noel, we all listened back to some of our earlier episodes on this. We did one in 2017. We did one a few years before. And in each case, we were working with the facts uh, with the facts we had at hand, but we didn't go quite as deep as we're going this time. So I wanted to ask you guys, what, what stood out to you? What do you, what do you recollect about our previous explorations? The first thing is that in 2013, we were all excited that in 2017, documents would be released. <laughs> yeah. Right. It was like disclosure all over again, right? It's like, oh, goody, a treasure trove of truths coming from the government, the benevolent government, to shed some light on this mystery. Well, yeah, and we also noted that numerous documents had been released over, you know, since the assassination, since the 1970s when some of these rules came into place, the laws were put into place that these documents would be released. Then, again, to listen in 2017, which feels like a lifetime ago, you guys, uh, we were excited that many documents have been released, but there were still some that were being held on to. Uh, right and, and man and unlike some other shows uh we actually read these documents right not just think pieces about them uh so you can if you listen to those shows and and some of the other mentions we do and things like an rfk episode or some of the youtube stuff we've done i what i thought was uh just kind of delightful and all shucksy was the slow decline in optimism <laughs> because it's very much a jam tomorrow Jam yesterday, never ever jam today. And it's been that way since that 1992 law that you're alluding to, Matt, where the CIA was charged with eventually caveat, et cetera, declassifying some of these things. I think my favorite part of the episode, too, is where we kind of like uh, bemoan the plight of like professional redactors. You know, oh, yeah. who have to go through with like the black highlighter pen, which is not, <sighs> honestly the opposite of a highlighter. What, what is that? A, a low lighter? Uh, it should be called a redacting pen because it's just like a big black, you know, thick marker uh, and uh, just go into town on those bad boys. And, and Matt, you made the excellent point that while this is obviously a very tedious task that probably wouldn't wish on our worst enemy, it's incredibly important. And these people have to be working with a pretty high level of precision. Um, otherwise, you know, things could uh, could get through that could be very bad for the government. And they do. They very much do. Well, imagine the cross-referencing that has to occur in that process, oh, yeah. right? Like the number of other documents you've got to make sure that this one sentence or this one word doesn't inf- infringe or infract something that's going on over here. It's, ugh, gross. No I can't remember what it was. There was something I was reading Oh, it's it's uh, it's tough to look back through the the years here, but there was something I was reading, and I came across a page that was so heavily redacted. I sh- you not, there were two unredacted words on there, and I one of them was the word Tuesday. Mm. That's it. Somebody went through with that highlighter, and again, painstakingly cross referenced everything, and they were like. I think we can say it's Tuesday. I think we can. <laughs> I mean, at that point, why not just redact the whole thing? I mean, why, that just, it seems like almost like a troll, you know? <laughs> yes. we'll, give, we'll give them Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes there are government mandates that say you have to release the documents, right? So. But they don't say you have to release them in full. They don't say, uh, you know, how they must be released in a lot of ways, unless they say, unless they impose restrictions such as uh, not creating an identifiable threat. 
That was that was the most recent one. This is a we're going to get into it. This conspiracy theory is apolitical. You're going to find people of all ideologies who believe some version of it, and they all agree. Maybe not on the specifics, but they all agree that there's something fishy about the official story. Something fishy about the official story. Whatever. Leave it in. We're going to leave it in. There's something a fishy about the about the story. How about that? So <laughs> here, here are the facts. And we need to set this up because it's going to be important to the conspiracies that are afoot as we speak. Someone to have you believe. First, JFK. 35th president of the United States in office from 1961-1963. He's only 43 years old when he gets elected, which we know for some conspiracy realist in the crowd, that sounds very, very old, but you'll get there probably <laughs> sooner than you think. And, oh uh, yeah, and he, um, he was set up for success. This is something that is unfortunately very, very, very common in American politics. He was the son of privilege. This was not a guy who was staying up at night worried about the light bill or worried about his next meal. He's an old Massachusetts money. Kind of a silver spoon firmly implanted in mouth situation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, but I only had the watt. Oh, wait, wait, no. <laughs> I'm going. I'm going. Stephen King. That's too main. Oh, no, that was gonna be. I, you know what? I, I liked it. I liked the hybrid King uh, Kennedy uh, <laughs> vibes there. Um, as as is befitting of uh, of of the Silver Spoon situation. Um, Kennedy graduated from Harvard in uh, 1940, and then he joined the Navy. Um, and he did make quite a name for himself as a leader during wartime. Um, specifically in 1943, his boat was attacked and actually sunk by a Japanese destroyer, and he was able to lead the survivors to safety. And that that is the thing. Like you know, you, you can you can say what you will about coming from a place of privilege like that. He did not have to join the navy. I mean, so many people join the military or join the navy because they don't have privilege and because they need you know the uh, the funds that that, that comes with that or like you know the ability to pay for college something like that he did it assumedly because he's a patriot and uh and he became a war hero which is a really really great way in paired with the privilege uh to politics well i'd be interested to know what some of our fellow conspiracy realists have to think of or have to say about that just you know joining up going to officer school or, or what you know the training to be an officer immediately upon getting into said military service and like what that would look like in this case, the fact that he was serving on, you know, a boat during wartime and was able to physically lead people to safety. Totally. That's a that's that's a up there, right? Okay, here's the thing though, and call me a cynic if we must, but uh it's easy to imagine that this was part of a longer play. He all his family was well established in politics, so I don't think it's unreasonable uh to imagine a conversation between John and his father, Joseph Kennedy Sr., where Joseph was saying, you know, one day you got to be president. Uh, <laughs> ask not what you can do for the Navy, but what the Navy can do for your political career. And I'll be damned if any of Prescott Bush's kids get there before you. You know, like, no, that, maybe... I mean Clearly, it certainly plays into that trajectory. But, you know, we also know some presidents that, you know, got out of military service due to uh, spurious, let's say, uh, da -da -da -da. Uh, dis the conditions reports. Right. Thereof. 
Yeah, and so he's still he's still relatively young at this time. I want to make sure we mention he was born in Brookline, Massachusetts, in 1917 on May 29th. Uh, but whatever his aims were, and it's difficult to ascribe motive, of course, but whatever his aims were, uh, if we take the patriotism at face value, he quickly used that. He quickly leveraged that experience as a war hero into the world of politics. First, he was a congressman. He was rep in the Boston area. And uh, by 1953, he was in the Senate. This guy was very much a rising star in the halls of power. And those folks who were already established in the halls of power, whether they liked him, whether they feared him, they had a very close eye on his future ambitions. Uh, And, you know, uh, things are going pretty well for him outside the world of politics, too. Oh, yeah. He he met Jackie Onassis, a.k.a. Jacqueline Beauvais. B-O-U-Bouvier. Bouvier. Ooh. Bouvier. Yeah. Ooh, yes. Um, and it, that was the same year that he was elected to the Senate, so 1953. And uh, he was, dude, this guy, sometimes we forget. We hear speeches from JFK. He made many, many of them over his short time in office uh, and as well as as a senator. But kind of forget, he was a Pulitzer Prize winning author, which means uh, he was good with the word and he, or he at least had a lot of people around him who were excellent with words to, to help him do that. Uh, he wrote a 1955 book. It's called Profiles in Courage, and he wrote this while he was recovering from an operation that he had on his back, and um, this is part of the the lore of JFK that we kind of learned more recently, I would say. I learned it much more recently with things oh, yeah. like drunk history, which is silly to think about, but in other places where stories of JFK's back pain uh, and, and like what? how his back pain and his surgery and everything kind of led to maybe some drug use over mm-hmm. the years. And, maybe uh, a back brace that mm-hmm. wouldn't let him duck when the first shot missed. Mm-hmm. We'll get there. We'll get there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you're you're right. And we have to point out too, this is a side note for any uh, current or former presidents tuning into the podcast. Uh, be careful, folks, because presidents – have a surprisingly dark history of substance abuse. And and people don't talk about it super often. But as you, as you look, you know, a lot of early American presidents were wasted pretty frequently on the job. And then if your life is so stressful, you know, you've got heavy medical monitoring, but you also have to be able to seem uh, fit, lucid, and capable in your many public appearances, and perhaps more importantly, in your non-public appearances or conversations with foreign powers. So sometimes uh, these individuals do get put up on drugs, you know, on, on medications of one sort or another. As messed up as it is, the appearance, as you said, Ben, of being lucid is oftentimes more important than your actual health as a sitting president. Oh, 100%. And that is a really sad thing uh, because it's almost like, who, who really cares about me? You know, and no, it's just about like, 
how how much of a front can you put up? You know, like uh, for, for example, like when Hillary Clinton, you know, I think she did a stutter step or something in public, and then all of a sudden there was all this conversation around. Oh, she's definitely dying. She's clearly got some sort of like life threatening condition, and I think a lot of that was also probably wrapped up in the fact that she's a woman, uh, and the media tends to go after women in that way more so than men. But it's the same with Biden. I mean, anytime you catch him like you know dozing off in a meeting, it makes like front page news yeah and there i mean there are hit pieces like that for every president especially now in the age of uh, ubiquitous media coverage you know you'll see like you'll see those clips of um thinking of a more recent example you'll see those clips of like 1980s peak businessman trump right and then you'll see you'll see it contrasted in usually like a short youtube video and it's like oh look at them now you know and regardless of your feelings yeah being a president is super damaging to people on a physical emotional if a soul exists on a soulful level uh, but people still want the job so now jfk has checked all the boxes is he from money? Yes. Is he from a political dynasty? Yes. Did he write a patriotic book? Check. Is he married to a powerful socialite? Check. Uh, is he, has he quickly progressed from Congress to the Senate? Check, check. So he makes a run first as the Democratic vice president in 1956. It doesn't work out. Fast forward four years. He doesn't get, give up. Now, he is the Democratic presidential candidate in 1960. And there's something so weird in the study of media that plays a huge role in this. Kennedy had a series of debates with the Republican candidate of the time, a guy named Richard M. Nixon, who may be familiar to some people through his street name, Tricky Dick. So before they were calling him Tricky Dick, I think they just called him, you know, Richard at that time, uh, millions of people. Millions tuned into this debate in some way, and it was aired on television. It was aired on radio. Something weird happened. People who listened on the radio thought Nixon won the debates. They thought he made better points. They thought he was more articulate. They thought he was more on mission and on brand. But people who saw it on TV thought Kennedy was the clear winner. Right. And it's all because of body language, right? Like Nixon looked a little sweaty and kind of disheveled and, and maybe a little, you know, fidgety kind of. And uh, and Kennedy, it, it, basic dreamboat, you know, just coming off like a champ, like looking completely calm as a cucumber. Uh, those that those dashing good looks, great hair. I mean, just excellent hair, hair for days, and just kind of this calm demeanor. Um, so that that goes to show why, you know, TV makes a huge difference. Yeah, at least a few people watched that televised debate and thought, which of these guys would I sleep with? Uh-oh. Definitely. And voted accordingly. And then <laughs> eventually yeah, slept with him. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Shout out to uh, Neely Comics for giving us the most important part of any JFK research, which is the music video by the Professor Brothers about JFK. Stop what you're doing. Pause this episode. Truly. Watch that video now. Pull over. Pull over safely and watch that video now. Uh, okay. And you're back. So... <laughs> See, we didn't lead you astray. It's worth it. So whatever uh, role media had to play here, history tells us Kennedy won. He didn't win by an overwhelming majority. He had a 
pretty narrow margin in the popular vote. And at least part of that was due to his youth, but I would advance a, a bigger part of it was due to lingering prejudice against people of the Catholic faith. I don't think it's as popular prevalent in the U.S. today, but back then and for a long time, uh, there were there were fears uh, motivated by religious prejudice uh, that caused many people to think any Catholic in a position of authority would not be obeying the Constitution. They would be obeying the word of the Pope, whomever that Pope happened to be. So he overcame, in that regard, a lot of prejudice to become president. And nowadays, as so often happens with the dead, his time on earth is romanticized. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're personally a fan of Kennedy uh, or the administration or the, you know, like the soap operatic story of Camelot. The truth is that uh, partially due to the tragic way his life ended, people tend to look with some rose-colored glasses. You know, they tend to airbrush some stuff. You know what I mean? And forget that no one's perfect. But still, it's easy to see some big wins for his administration at the time. You know, called for more progress in the world of civil rights. Uh, did something that not every president really does, which he championed the arts, despite the fact that the arts aren't inherently profitable in a quantifiable way. Uh, and then he put out a lot of economic programs that I think people forget about. Uh, this put the U.S. on a path of expansion in the in the commercial world. Uh, it's an expansion that hadn't occurred since uh, World War II. And he didn't use the catchphrase. I wish he did, but he didn't use this catchphrase, but he was very interested in eliminating pockets of deep poverty. Just didn't call it a war on poverty uh, because using the W word was a little bit sensitive in the 60s. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a, a call to action that was shared by somebody who got assassinated five years later. Uh, That's true. And Dr. King. <laughs> Interesting. It's very much true. And COINTELPRO never ended. Just going to slip that one in there. We're going to pause for a word from our <laughs> sponsors, and we'll be right back because nothing happens in a vacuum. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire, with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position 
warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. We've returned. So, giving you some highlights, rough and dirty biography. But we have to admit, the Kennedy administration was anything but perfect. In fact, the world came the closest it has been uh, to nuclear war since World War II during Kennedy's short tenure as president. Yeah, um, the Cold War absolutely reached a crisis level during the Cuban Missile Crisis, um, as it was known. Uh, Kennedy... Possibly, against better judgment, allowed some trained, armed Cuban exiles to invade Cuba, uh, which was another one of the laundry list of plays uh, made to attempt to overthrow the government of Fidel Castro. We talked in the last episode about it was everything from like poison, like what? Something about a wetsuit. A poison yeah, wetsuit, po- poison wetsuit, poison yeah. cigar, yes, uh, exploding in. cigars, right? Or- yeah, yes, that's it. Hallucinogens piped in uh, in the studio where he recorded stuff just to discredit him, even to make him lose his beard. That fits in what we were just talking about, too, right? The idea of if he came off not seeming lucid or seeming in some way daughtery or like he didn't have his shit together, that would be enough to topple him, at least in the minds of the people, right? Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, and. To explain a little bit about the the issue that the Cuban exiles have, we we had to talk. We have to talk about the revolution. A lot of there was a, a ton of wealth inequality pre-revolution in Cuba, and many of the people who would go on to be Cuban exiles and anti-communist extremists felt that their property had been stolen by the new government of Cuba, and so to I mean, them. It, it, 
had, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it had. You can call it whatever you want. You can call it nationalized if you want, if that makes it sound better or more official. But yeah, it was taken. And the idea was that it had itself been, this property had been acquired unfairly by these the families of these folks leveraging the government. That was the position of the communist revolution in Cuba. But these folks never gave up. How would you feel if you thought this communist government had wrecked your life and your future? You would want to retaliate. That's an understandable thing. So they were all about it. Uh, but Kennedy and his administration were not on board because they didn't want to poke a certain bear across the Atlantic, <laughs> a bear that was also dangerously close to Alaska, very much had a f around and find out reputation, and they also had nuclear weapons. So Kennedy thought it was a bad move to mess with Castro. We can talk this down. He's the guy at the bar saying, okay, let's not throw hands yet because we want to be at this bar tomorrow. The USSR was not feeling this move against Cuba because to them, it was a vital part of the global communist revolution. And they pretty much saw it as a client state. They felt they had hegemony over the country. So they said, you know what? You're around. You're about to find out. So they sent nuclear weapons to the island. And this is what launches the crisis so bad that we literally still today call it the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah, and they, they didn't just ship the nukes there so that, you know, Fidel and, and the Cuban forces could say, hey, there are nukes here. They installed those babies ready to rock just off the coast of the United States. Yikes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, about 90 miles, 90 miles away. And so the U.S. only learned about this because of the U-2 spy plane, which is famously how the members of the band U-2 met each other. They were operating that plane. <laughs> uh, this was October of 1962. So when Kennedy learned about this, he was kind of at, he, he was at an impasse. So he placed a naval blockade around the, the nation of Cuba and he called it a quarantine, cutting off any Soviet access. And he said, look, not only can you not ship more nuclear weapons here, you need to get all of the other stuff off the island. You have to get all the nuclear missiles that you already put there and the non-nuclear missiles, and uh, you have to put them back on a boat to Soviet Russia, and you've got to destroy those missile sites you built. So for 13 days, some of us in the audience were alive for these 13 days. For 13 days, the future of civilization pretty much hinged on two dudes, Nikita Khrushchev and John Kennedy. And they made two deals. Only one was public. Yeah. So Russia or the USSR said, you know what? Okay, we'll dismantle the sites. If you, John, and the United States vow not to ever, at least in the time being, invade Cuba for any reason, do not invade Cuba. And, and again, this is this is interesting uh, because that's the one that we knew about, right? Yeah, yeah. So the idea is Kennedy was like, fine. And then some, somebody from the CIA in the back is going, no! <laughs> yeah. Damn it. We, yeah. we have this great idea for a poison toe ring that we're going to give to Fidel Castro. We don't know if he wore toe You know rings. the man loved his toe rings. He was known for that. 
Yeah, you know, everybody's got their own inner life, right? Drew Carey has nipple piercings. I'm just saying don't Is that true? People. Yeah, that's what I heard. Tell me that's not true. Uh, you've you just ruined you've ruined Drew Carey for me, Ben. Well, wait, you've wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not let's not judge. What if what if I have a few of those? A few, a few? Of <laughs> what what do you mean? Like you more than nip? two? Do you have I like a third my, nip situation or are they like really big? I'm sorry, that's a personal question. <laughs> Matt took off his headphones. No, he's back in. I, I thought he say too. took off his shirt and revealed his shiny, shiny <laughs> nip rings. <laughs> so so um Regardless of their stance on nuclear weapons or nipple rings, uh, the leaders of the USSR and the U.S. were trying to reach some kind of nonviolent agreement. They were still very much in competition because they wanted to be the rulers of the world. Let's talk about that private agreement. This goes back to the idea of posturing in a way that shows confidence, that shows lucidity, that shows power, right? Instead of weakness, uh, the the public was sold kind of a tit-for-tat agreement, right? Okay, we're not going to invade Cuba. In the back, the intelligence guys are like, no, damn it. And then in return, you're going to get rid of those missiles. They're just too close to us. And we think that's dangerous. This is the same country, by the way, that has dozens of bases encircling the border of Iran today. But anyway, they were like, nah, we like to do that to people, but we don't want it done to us. But the U.S. had to give up something else, and they didn't tell the public this for 25 years. They also agreed that they would remove their nuclear weapons from Turkey because ah. Russia, Russia asked a very reasonable question from their perspective which is like, okay, so you're telling me, President Kennedy, that you, you don't think it's a good look. You, you don't like the vibe of a foreign power having nuclear weapons really close to you. And they're like, no, absolutely not. That's a non-starter. And they're like, cool. Turkey, though, bro. Turkey. Yeah, what about these right here? <laughs> right there. <laughs> right. And the battle, that battle was over. Those days passed, and the world did not descend into nuclear chaos but the beef was still on there's still this huge arm race because both nations see themselves not just as wanting to be the leaders of the world but as the rightful leaders of the world and they'll do anything they can legality be damned to make that so and by 1963 thanks in part to efforts on both sides they're sending public signals that they're ratcheting down the tension this is the year when the Kremlin and the White House set up a hotline, you know? And uh, they knew when that hotline blinged, it could only mean one thing, uh, total nuclear annihilation. (laughs) Yeah, or a chance to talk back from the ledge. Yeah, well, and again, like, how great is that, though? That there could be, between two superpowers, a direct line for the leaders to communicate in case tensions get too high. Like surely it was one of those big red phones that like lights up. It has to be. Yeah. The only possible option. It was actually, uh, this is the weirdest part. And I thought about this pretty often. It was a way for them to text each other. Yeah. It was a teletype machine. No way. Yes. Way Ted. Yeah. So, (laughs) well, so now they can just slide into each other's DMS. Like Putin just hits up Biden yeah, like 3 a.m. I mean, I, I'm sure that happens. Uh, <laughs> WID, bro. WID in Crimea. <laughs> Cold War hotline. Sorry. I'm now done. 
<laughs> no, it's, it's perfect. It, you know, um, it is inspiring. You know, and this is something we see in diplomacy, the idea that if we can get away from the court of public opinion, we, the world leaders, can work something out in a way that benefits everybody, everybody being defined as you and me on the phone. So <laughs> on that hotline. So that's one thing they did. And then they also Dimitri, saw, yeah. Dimitri, Dimitri, <laughs> I can't hear you, Dimitri. You're breaking up. I'm sorry. I can't not think Dr. Strangelove when we talk about this kind of stuff. Exactly. Exactly. And I also, I would love to, I feel like you can learn a lot about somebody by the the way in which they choose to text, you know, and no judgment. Some people are emoji heavy. Some people are not. Some people are full sentences. Some people feel full sentences are kind of cold and overly formal. I just don't like it when you end a text with a period. I think it's the most aggressive thing. It's like an act of war to me. I don't care. I don't care. My sentences will be complete when I say things in text form. What if it's just a single word followed by a period? You don't think that's a little inherently aggressive? Context, I would say. It depends. I've just had that beat into me, but I do text you both differently. Like, I, I know I don't want to put you off, Noel, with a period. And then, Matt, I also don't. <laughs> Don't want to seem like don't want to seem like I don't care. <laughs> so, <laughs> but what about so on group texts? How do you how do you how do you navigate those diplomatic waters, Ben? On group texts, I've uh, you guys will notice I've done without the period unless I'm writing actual like because I I text too many things. So I I'll write out a paragraph. Then at le least I can do is get some periods in there so it's readable. But we don't know. Uh, we don't know what these world leaders were necessarily saying on this hotline. We do know that in July of 1963, uh, both sides were also signatories to the Limited Nuclear Test Ban Treaty, which was an international agreement to step down the wild west of nuclear testing. Uh, if you want to learn more about that, check out our episodes on things like the Marshall Islands. So at this point, we have to ask. What would the world be like today, not if Kennedy got reelected, but what if he had just finished his term? There are tons of speculation out there, but the simple truth is this. We are never going to know, and that is because on November 22nd, 1963, in Dallas, Texas, President John F. Kennedy was assassinated. After an investigation, after a series of very thorough investigations, the U.S. government concluded this assassination was carried out by one dude. Lee Harvey Oswald, acting alone, shot the President of the United States fatally in the head with a 6.5 millimeter Carcano Model 38 rifle. That's the official conclusion through the Warren Commission. Turns out a lot of people have a problem with that conclusion. What are we talking about? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsor. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more 
while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Here's where it gets crazy. Remember again, folks, this is part one of a two-part series. So this is the part where we have to do the official story, and we are very well aware this may irk some of our fellow listeners in the crowd today, but we've got to establish the actual timeline, the official timeline, the stuff that the government says happened and the order in which they say it happened. All right, I'll take the hit, guys. In November of 1963, Kennedy, Vice President Lyndon Johnson, and their spouses embarked upon a five-city tour throughout Texas, aiming to boost Kennedy's popularity for the next election, while also uniting the Texas Democratic Party. Then, on the morning of November 22nd, the Kennedy family arrived in Dallas via Air Force One for, from Fort Worth. The president entered a motorcade, heading for a luncheon at the Dallas Trademark. Over Ooh, one, can I stop just... Just for a sec, I had a question for you guys. What's the difference between a lunch and a luncheon? I was about to ask the same thing. I think a luncheon is fancy, usually involves tiny sandwiches. Isn't it like an event? Like a bunch of people? Yeah, a a ladies' luncheon. You know, think about like a a pinnacle club meeting or something like that. Or like some sort of. It's just more formal. I think that's right. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Sorry, Matt. That was just, that's something I didn't want to 
I didn't want to research before it went on air. The same question was burning in my skull, and you asked it. You asked what everyone in the audience was asking, so bless you for that. (laughs) So anyways, the Kennedys are hanging out, going to this fancy, smancy lunch at the Dallas Trademark. There are over 150,000 people lined up along the road as the Kennedys head that way in their vehicle. It's a 10-mile route. Yes, it's a 10-mile route, and... At 12.30 in the afternoon, both President Kennedy and the governor of Texas at the time, a fellow named John Connolly, are shot. They're riding in the presidential limousine, which is open top, and Connolly is seriously wounded. For a time, they don't know if he's going to make it, but the president, despite, you know, no one officially announces it until later that day, but the president is clearly dead. It's not a tis but a flesh wound situation. You and if there's one takeaway we got from this whole scenario is no more open top motorcades. Right. Not a thing. People do not a thing anymore in this country uh, for presidents. So the car, the limousine instantly goes into action. Like within 60 seconds, it is racing toward the nearest hospital, Parkland Memorial. Around this time, Lee Harvey Oswald, the assassin is making his escape from the sixth floor of the Texas school book depository. Uh, History hinges on very, very small things, folks. He almost gets caught walking downstairs. A police officer briefly stops him in the lunchroom on the second floor of the building, but he moves on without incident. By 1 p.m., Kennedy is at the hospital His body is, at least. He's pronounced dead. And just a few minutes after that, police find empty rifle shells and they find a rifle hidden on the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository. Later investigations will show that was definitely Oswald's rifle. He definitely did buy it. Um, By 1.50 p.m., he is arrested. His plan for a getaway did not go well. Uh, By... The next day, in the wee hours of November 23rd, 1.30 a.m., he is officially charged with the murder of the President of the United States. How did that go? We'll never know. He never makes it to trial. On November 24th, he, too, will be assassinated by a very interesting guy named Jack Ruby. Great name. Uh, Yeah, and in the wake of that murder, Lyndon Johnson... Um, sought to kind of keep the peace, maintain some semblance of order. Um, he knew that this was on everyone's television, everyone's radio, and he knew that not everyone in the audience was particularly big fan of his, um, considering. So he he knew he needed to tread lightly, um, and an investigation commenced. Um, even as these rumors began to spread uh, from the onset, um, some genuine speculation, uh, some likely manufactured disinformation coming out of Russia. Uh, you know, they were looking at this as an opportunity to to sow discontent, right? Um, to divide, which is a tactic we know they've employed multiple times throughout history uh, against the United States. Uh, As the the U.S. has against so many other countries. This is a beautiful song we are singing. But Uh, that's for us. It's not for you. Exactly. (laughs) It's always for us. Um, But in the end, the Warren Commission, um, in an 888-page report, I'm surprised no conspiracy theories have been made around that number 
Oh, it's to get rid of the trees. Okay, got it. Boom. Um, they made this public on September 27th, 1964. It concluded that Kennedy was, in fact, assassinated by Lee Harvey Oswald and that Oswald had acted alone without any co-conspirators. Yeah, and also that there was nobody else involved, like as far as a government handler or agency or, you know, military. Sure. No big business interest, no organized crime, no ring of uh, sleeper agent spies. One dude, one gun, and a few bullets had laid democracy low. This remains one of the most controversial investigations in the entirety of U.S. history. And as we record today, conspiracy theories about this murder proliferate. It is, in fact, one of the most widely accepted conspiracy theories in American culture. And, and there are people, again, it's apolitical, people on either side of the, that, you know, frankly, manufactured divide, people of every kind of creed, every kind of um, demographic slice you could imagine, people who consider themselves very skeptical about every other thing might say, well, okay, the Kennedy thing, though. The Kennedy thing, right? And everybody else in the room looks around and... And they go, know, which one? Yeah, they're like, well... Which I mean, Kennedy? Robert, John, <laughs> which one are we talking? Are we talking Chappaquiddick? Because that happened too. I mean, anyway, the, the thing is that there's a mistrust of the government. Very common in U.S. culture. You could say it's American as apple pie, which is misleading because apples are from Kazakhstan, but whatever. Uh, the idea is that it is, some, it is somehow both the responsibility and the right of people living in the U.S. to question the decisions of those in power. And because parts of that investigation remain classified today, that lack of transparency coupled with that ingrained lack of trust combined to make just the Ah, perfect soil for speculation. It's like in 2017, about 59% of Hillary Clinton supporters believed in a conspiracy surrounding the JFK assassination. And at the same time, about 61% of Donald Trump supporters were on the same page. Finally, finally, we found the one thing people of all political stripes can agree on. Why is it that up in the debate? How come no one talks about that? They don't answer my letters, but <laughs> that, would, that would be pretty great you know, all on the stage. The next presidential debate, just mm. what's your take on the JFK assassination? And then they connect so hard and everybody's just feeling each other so much on stage that we all just get along and they decide to co-president. <laughs> they decide to go. Yeah. I'm just, I picture like, uh, what is it? Anderson Cooper moving from some question, like one of those, vaguely worded questions about, you know, freedom and then just going, all right, JFK, <laughs> just leaving it there. <laughs> uh, maybe they have to go Jeopardy style and phrase it as a phrase their answer as a question to be careful, you know? Yeah. But, but uh, if they, if that ever happened, which spoiler folks, that's never going to happen. You're not going to get a presidential debate where they talk about that. Uh, Maybe because they don't want to get shot. But if that ever happened, you would hear some of the most prevalent conspiracy theories brought up in the media. And they don't all agree. At times they contradict, but they have a couple of commonalities and we can group them into just a, a few categories. You know, it's like just a handful of the most popular ones. 
Um, this one's for you, Noel. You know, soprano style. What if it was the mafia? I guess that is me, huh? I'm the resident Sopranos nut. Yeah. Um, no one ever expects them off. And that's not true. They usually do do things pretty brashly. Um, doesn't feel like this one has too much sand, right? Well, uh, there isn't a whole, I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen a whole hell of a lot of chatter about it. What do you guys know? There's some weirdness in Jack Ruby's connections. I don't know, man. Oh, There's well, all with kinds the Teamsters, of... right? Isn't there a connection with like a, a union? I'm thinking of Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah. Hey. It was dirty, but there were. Um, I have some personal nitpicks with the uh, the mafia theory. Uh, the chief of those, and we'll talk about this more in part two. The chief of which is that it seems unlikely for the mafia to be involved with an operation of that magnitude and that risk, unless there was a clear benefit at the end and would have to be a significant benefit whether it's cash or whether it's immunity from something else what i'm saying is like the, the mafia participating in something the mafia being asked to help maybe but the mafia just deciding to do it on their own some crime family that seems a little tough to swallow you have to imagine it would be a business decision of some sort exactly right? Right. Because what, you know, you can call these outfits crime families, uh, but they're really business enterprises. You know, mafias are a mom and pop business. They sure are a family business. Um, yeah. Jimmy Hoffa. Right. I mean, that that was who was purported to have ordered the assassination or been complicit in it. Uh, and he was obviously a very corrupt Teamsters union leader who had mob ties. And, you know, don't mess with Teamsters in general. Just stay on their good side. That's what everybody in production tells me. Uh, the other idea, Castro, fed up with the hilarious attempts at on his life, had decided he would show them how it was done, and he ordered the death of John F. Kennedy. Or was it the CIA and then Vice President Lyndon Johnson? Or were they both working together? Or were they working with even more people? Did they all Voltron up? Assemble their Avengers, assemble their assassination Avengers and kill Kennedy. And then, you know, then go a little further out. You'll see things like a shadow government, a, a deeply embedded cabal, the Illuminati, um, something like that killed Kennedy or even the John Birch Society killed Kennedy or the president somehow never actually died. So that's just hold that one in your mind for the rest of this series, but there's this fascinating, deep rabbit hole of conjecture. The theories often contradict one another on the most basic of assumptions, but they all have one unanimous commonality. They all claim that Lee Harvey Oswald did not act alone. Again, over half of the people in the U.S. believe some version of this. And since 1963, these arguments have never quite gone away. Oh, shout out to the other one, the incompetence conspiracy. The idea that with the best of intentions, a member of the Secret Service fired the fatal shot. Uh, just for a fumble, speculation, this individual was hung over, etc. cetera. Uh, but that hasn't been proven. That's just one of the other popular ones we have to mention. And, you know, I, the more I think about it, I think the probably the majority of people who don't buy this official story from the Warren Commission, they don't think they're conspiracy theorists. They just think there's something really off about the story. And whether or not you agree, it's easy to understand that perspective. And that's because for decades, for more than half a century, Uncle Sam has kept information about this murder from the public. And over the years, 
some emerging facts, things that did come out or did get declassified, like the story behind the Cuban Missile Crisis, have called some of these initial statements into question. There, no matter, like, if you accept the official narrative, there's still no arguing that there are a lot of weird discrepancies about this one. There's a lot of muddy stuff here. Yeah, you can look to a person named Dr. T. Jeremy Gunn, who actually worked on the Assassination Records Review Board. This was uh, this review board was established in 1992. This is the one we mentioned earlier at the top of this uh, this episode. And by the way, this is right after JFK was created by Oliver Stone. That's one of the most well-known stories about the assassination and about JFK. Zapruder film back mm. and to the left, Ooh, back buddy and to the left. So this Dr. T. Jeremy Gunn fellow was very surprised as he was, you know, looking through these records to find that the medical evidence that was available from the assassination of JFK's actual body was not up to snuff. It wasn't what, like, there wasn't enough information there. It wasn't accurate enough. It's just, uh, it wasn't up to the ex- expectations that you would imagine the medical records of an assassinated president would be. Yeah, yeah. He, Gunn learned that there was a deposition with one of the three doctors who performed the autopsy on Kennedy's corpse. And this doctor, Dr. James Joseph Humes, said, oh, yeah, uh, we skipped some steps in the autopsy. Like, was it my best autopsy? I don't, I don't know. We, but yeah, that we know it was the president, but we, we skipped some stuff. You know, we're in a hurry. And then it turns out that he had also made a copy of the original autopsy paperwork, this Dr. Humes, uh, and he had destroyed the original. When asked why he destroyed the original, he said uh, he did it because he saw it had blood stains. So he made his made his own thing. and Because uh, it's, not, it's not an important original document at all. Well, you know, on the other side of it, Matt, maybe he wanted literally a clean copy. I don't know. I just feel like at that point you shouldn't be messing with things any more than they're already messed with. What what if he just kept it in a box in his house for the rest of his life? Oh, God, that is a classic human move. I could so see that, you know. But uh, if he did, he didn't come forward during his lifetime to say, hey, here's the original. He did seem to at least believe that he had destroyed it. Um, T. Jeremy Gunn finds some other discrepancies. He says there are serious problems with the forensic and ballistic evidence. This is not an armchair investigator. You know, as as you established, Matt, this was literally this guy's job. Uh, he also found that someone somehow had gone into the National Archives and taken the official photos of Kennedy's corpse post-assassination. Uh, whatever photos are there now do not appear in Gunn's opinion, to be the original photos. So why would you switch those out? What's, I mean, why? What's the point? And I guess an auction that your great, great, great grandchildren will have one day. Or as the, as the more conspiratorial would argue, uh, the photographs show wounds that do not fit the official narrative. Uh, And so there's a second factor here. The state secrecy is definitely complicating the search for the truth. And this leads to conspiracies about conspiracies. You'll find so many people. I I used to believe this as well. You'll find so many people claiming the CIA 
popularized the term conspiracy theory in 1967. You'll find some people claiming they invented this term and weaponized it in the wake of the JFK assassination. Um, They didn't invent it. Government agencies, and this is not a ding, government agencies are not often creative in that regard. They use well-established means because you want to stick with what works. But what the CIA did do, and what should scare you if you were in the audience today, is exert their control over domestic media. Not little fringe sites, not little front websites or anything like that. No, 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 no. The papers of note. Like they wrote to contacts in the New York Times and the Chicago Tribune. And uh, the, the most famous of these is a memo called Concerning Criticism of the Warren Report. Came out after the Warren Commission. And in there, if you actually read the thing, in the third paragraph, the CIA does talk about conspiracy theories. It's the only time it occurs in the document. They say, conspiracy theories have frequently thrown suspicion on our organization. Oh, how wounded. Uh, For example, by falsely alleging that Lee Harvey Oswald worked for us. And then they spend a lot of ink crapping on Lee Harvey Oswald, which admittedly isn't hard. Uh, They say, you know, he's super unstable. Nobody, let alone the CIA, nobody in their right mind would be dumb enough to use such an unreliable dude in an operation of this scope. Like, come on, we don't play. It's it's like all but saying, like, it, it doesn't say this, but the implication is like, we know enough about assassinating world leaders that we have a pretty good idea of who not to pick and we would not pick this dude. Uh, But the use of the phrase is really casual. The way they use the phrase conspiracy theory, it's because before this moment in time, that wasn't a pejorative. It was like a thing people just kind of assumed happened. And mainly this is meant, this memo is meant to give people in media arguments against those rumors. And like you pointed out earlier, Noel, some of those rumors were it's highly likely that they were being spread on purpose by foreign propaganda agencies or foreign propaganda operations. So that's what they're fighting against. That is what they're fighting against, but we have to remember, we've discussed this in the past, the CIA would plant an operative within a large news organization. They did that. That's what we're, that's what we're referring to here. We're saying like they'd reach out to their people basically to give these directives. Uh, uh, that's ugh. talking about propaganda happening. Scary, it's man. still happening today. I mean, even with that little bit of myth busting, I think you're right, Matt. That is the scariest part. No one in the public knew about this memo, by the way, until the New York Times uh, years later was able to get it through a FOIA request, a Freedom of Information Act request. That's how you get the pages with the black highlighter if you have a lot of time on your hands. Uh, so now... This has led the public and the government into a strange song and dance routine. I don't know if we talked about it on air, but Disney has been doing this clever thing for a very long time where they repeatedly push back the rules of copyright, right? The statute of limitations on copyright law so that they can retain um, sole ownership of their many, many properties. Uh, in In a weird way, some faction of the U.S. government or some group of people 
seems hell-bent on pushing back that scheduled declassification of these JFK files that are still secret today. It does not matter who the president is. It does not matter which of the two political parties. It doesn't, you know what? If there's ever like a, if the Green Party was in charge, you know what I mean? If like a Libertarian Party was in charge, this would probably still be the same situation because public outcry does not matter. It does not matter. You can't elect the head of the CIA. Well, not while they're at that job. They have to, they have to have moved on. But, uh, yeah, we folks, you probably noticed in, in a recent example, if you tune into our strange news segments, we talked about the Biden administration, the most uh, recent decision to keep those still secret files secret. And they said they were just following the directives of the National Archives, and they gave two reasons. One feels actually, I'll say it, one feels pretty solid, and the other one is pretty spooky. That's just my opinion. Well, yeah, the first one, they just said uh, the coronavirus and COVID-19, all of the things that we have to do has slowed down our process a lot. So we, we need more time. And that's, that's pretty chain. simple. Makes sense, right? Yeah. Supply chain. You know, they can't get the markers. Everything's been held up. It's like trying to get a good black highlighter now. It's like trying to get a PS5. Yeah, man. Oh, it's so hard over here in the archives. But there's this other phrase that we mentioned in that strange news episode that is, to my mind, the domino that sends me down a rabbit hole. Yes. Uh, the phrase, uh, the very vague phrase, identifiable harm, whatever that means. Um, so <laughs> why, why the need for this, you know, persistent secrecy? What would happen if all of these documents, assuming they haven't been like shredded, uh, were released. We talk about that in the previous episode, right? I mean, my whole thing is like, they're not going to release it. They're not. If there's anything in there, they're not going to. They, they're not going to tell you. They're not going to let us know. I, I just don't believe that it is in the capacity of the government to a ever admit they were wrong and b release anything that would shed any light on any secret nonsense that they've been up to. And then Ben, you made the point, or I think it was both of you that. There are branches of the government that are like there's there's no crossover. There are all these siloed branches, so they might not even all know what's in there, right? Oh yeah, for sure, that's definitely true. Also, side note, my new favorite excuse not to go to things is identifiable harm. Mm -hmm. Like if I can just use if I'm like ah oh, sorry I can't make what it happened. To I have become weird. I've become weird. I, I'm careful with that one. I've become strange. Uh, I don't want to, I, I, I use, I have become strange and uh, you got to It's like saffron or sesame oil. A little bit of that goes a long way. So know? is the concept that if you were present, you may or may not cause unidentifiable harm. And that is just too much of a risk to take. <laughs> or, no is comment. It, <laughs> or is it that the, <laughs> the event itself could cause unidentifiable harm to you? No comment. Okay. Or is it, yeah, we can't we can't have people learning about our collection methods and tactics. Got it. That's it. Um, yeah, I think I'll stick with that. It becomes strange, maybe. Uh, or we could just say COVID. So hey, there you go. But to your question, Noel, it's a good question. Um, what would happen? It's not going to, but just hypothetically, what would happen if all of this stuff was released? All the stuff that hadn't been destroyed was released. It's really hard to say because it's a black box. 
we don't know what's in there. Uh, and if you are, if you do have visibility on this and you are listening, um, you probably can't write to us. You can't tell us what's in there. Uh, you'll be under the jail. Well, you'll be under the prison. You'll be under something. <laughs> it might be six feet of dirt. Uh, but while you're, you could say that declassifying all of this would be a big step toward dispelling some of the wilder claims, but it's, I don't know, I think it's probable that even if everything was released, it wouldn't stop the tide of speculation because of one profoundly disturbing, inarguable fact, and it is true, the U.S. itself has assassinated people. And like many other countries, the U.S. likely will assassinate more people in the future if it deems those actions appropriate for some greater good. So, I mean, parts of the government move in dark by design. So declassifying these documents might tell, you know, foreign adversaries or the public too much about how the sausage gets made. Uh, the thing is, however you personally think about what happened that day in November in Dallas, Texas, the chilling fact is this. When it comes to the murder of John F. Kennedy, there is still, more than half a century later, something the U.S. government doesn't want you to know. It's like, that's true, right? That's literally what the definition of classifying things means. I want to know. You can't. I, 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 <laughs> it would blow your mind, dude. It would kill you. It would Guys, render you a quivering pool of jelly. <laughs> Look, look behind me. I, I, I want to believe and I want to know. I finally got an X-Files poster in my room. Nice. <laughs> nice. Did, Congrats, I, I was man. hoping you were going to have the classic, you know, the UFO, the UFO one. Yeah. Nope. I like this one because you got Mulder and Scully and Scully is always looking over me now. You know what's weird about, because I, I, I know we've all rewatched that show, but I, I rewatched it during the pandemic, just the greatest hits, you know, the ones that really speak to me. And as a kid, I didn't notice how often everybody says Fox Mulder's name. Yes. It takes you out of the story. It's not the way that people talk to each other. You know, I mean, don't you get weirded out when someone's using your name too much in casual conversation? Like just Fox, calling him Fox all the time? Or well, Scully says Mulder like every three sentences. That's true. Does she, does she ever call him Fox? Like, like, like if she's cranky at him? I think in emotional moments. Yeah. When they get more, um, well, spoilers, folks. When they no, mm -hmm. do they? Okay. Will they? Won't they? About, Who knows? You're talking, you're talking, <laughs> about, that, <laughs> you're talking <laughs> about that simmering sexual tension between the two. <laughs> Did Matt just redact us? Mm -hmm. He redacted us. <laughs> So well, that was what they call that was a call uh, what they call a shush redaction. <laughs> Classic yes. move. Classic Matt move. And this is where we're going to call it today. Again, this is the first of a two-part series. It might end up being more than two parts, frankly. Uh, this is an introduction of sorts. So tune in for part two. We're diving deep into the JFK conspiracies. We're gonna give you some juice. We're gonna go from the plausible to the far out to maybe even the bizarre JFK-related claims of the modern day. But for now, what do you think? Is the official story legit? Is there a cover-up? And if so, what kind of cover-up? Who's involved? If you are listening and you are John Fitzgerald Kennedy and you are somehow alive, um, you know, write to us. But if you want to write to us, you don't have to be Kennedy. Whomever you are, we'd love to hear from you. We try to be easy to find online. Oh, the internet, such a place of... 
of, of mystery and wonder <laughs> and, and chaos. Lots of chaos on the internet, but not in our little corners of the internet, only the mystery and wonder. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on YouTube. You can find us on Twitter under the handle Conspiracy Stuff. Uh, you can find us on Instagram, if you wish, at the handle Conspiracy Stuff Show. Yes. If you would like to use your phone and your voice to contact us, you can leave us a voicemail. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. You have three minutes. Say anything you wish. Any message, any story, any topic you want to suggest, whatever it is, that's wonderful. We want it. We'll take it. Please give yourself a cool nickname. And if three minutes is not enough for everything you want to say, instead, send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com.